let's start and talk about depression tonight. And so what an amazing passage. Here is Elijah discouraged. And the Bible says that this powerful prophet comes to... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. To a low point in his life uh, where he goes, the Bible says, and sits down under a broom tree uh, and he prays that he might die. Lord, it is enough. Take away my life. Now, I have to tell you, These are hard words to read. I care about these Bible personalities. Uh, I read about them so often and think about them. I feel like I know them in some way. Uh, And when I read this story, it's always hard to read. It's almost like I don't want to look at this. I want to look beyond it. It's just, I feel kind of like uh, 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 Shem and Japheth when uh, they heard that their father was naked. You just kind of want to walk backward here and just cover this. Because uh, this is not how we know this man, Elijah. We see this prophet as boldly confronting King Ahab, a man who prays with power and brings a curse on the land because of idolatry, a man who goes up to a desperate widow and confidently challenges her to give, uh, and if she would give, God would give her a miracle, one who stands on the mountain uh, and calls down fire from heaven and so This is how we know Elijah. This is how we like to think of Elijah. And now we have this other picture of of this man in a very personal, very private moment saying, you know what, God, I wish I were dead. And that's hard to see because we don't like to think of people this way. We don't want to think of them vexed, tormented. We want to see them in their victory. We want to see them in their glory and in their dominion. And yet the Bible allows us to consider this tonight. And I'm so glad that it does. Because you and I must understand that human beings go there sometimes. People can't come to this place in their life. This is an important subject. This is something that is being talked about everywhere, and so we might as well talk about it in the, in the church. The book of James says that this was, Elijah was a man of like passion, that when we read about Elijah, we are not to read about him as some sort of superhero, but the Bible says this man has all the same um, uh, passions, all the same range of emotions that every person here has. What is depression? Now, by definition... It's described as feelings of sadness, being unhappy, or being miserable. No great shakes. You cannot, you know, they diagnose depression, but you can't take someone's blood and by looking at someone's blood identify depression. You cannot uh, find any physiological. They can find results of depression, or so they say, but the truth is we're talking about the realm of human feeling and emotions. People feel this and they cannot seem to escape it. They cannot seem to withdraw from this. More than 20 million people, they tell us, in the United States suffer from depression every year. Women are twice as likely to suffer from depression than men. 
And at some point in our lives, they say about one in four Americans will experience a period of depression. Listen to this one. When men hit midlife, that's about age 90 or 100. It says when men hit midlife, they may face an increased risk of depression. Listen to this one. Men typically experience depression differently from women and use different means to cope. For example, while women may feel hopeless, men may feel irritable. Women may crave a listening ear while men may become socially withdrawn or become violent or abusive. So this is what they tell us as they are wrestling with this reality that people go through these bouts of sadness or depression. Now, there's an Old Testament example. I've preached on this before. But I believe that it is a legitimate picture of depression and probably articulates it better than anything that I've ever seen. It's found in Exodus 10 where the Bible says when the plagues were coming upon Egypt, it says the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. The Bible says this, this uh, unusual darkness descended um, in this period of time. Four simple truths about depression from this. Number one is the Bible says this was a darkness that could be felt. In other words, this was real. You talk to any person who's ever really gone through a, a real depression, and they'll tell you this is not some light emotional thing. Just a little, hey, hey, man, don't worry, be happy. Or I, I, I feel happy, 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 happy. Come on, sing it, happy, happy, happy. Yeah, it doesn't work. But this thing can be felt. This is real. This is not as simple as just a pressing a button, and now all of a sudden I feel better. And that is what often is so frustrating about this with people. The Bible says it was a darkness that could be felt. Not only that, it says that it was a darkness that isolated them. It says they couldn't see each other. And one of the realities of depression is the isolating factor of depression that it causes people to withdraw relationships. They no longer see other people. One of the battles of depression is if you're not careful, you can become inconsiderate. In other words, you don't think about other people anymore or what was happening to you and how it might affect even your own family. You don't see other people. Another feature is that darkness robs people of motivation. That one of the factors in depression is it's hard to get motivated. It's hard to get up in the morning and get things done. There is no get up and go. And the Bible says that for three days, they stayed in bed. For three days, they didn't go anywhere. They lost all motive and all drive. And the fourth thing, as it says, is that it was temporary. It lasted three days. One of the realities of people that wrestle with depression is that it comes and goes. It can feel like the weather, that clouds can roll in. And you can go through this for a period of time, and then it goes away, and it seems like everything's normal. And then it happens again, and this can be terribly frustrating for you, but not just for you, but everybody around you who cares about you. I want you to consider with me the Bible view of depression. What does the Bible have to say about this? Because this story 
is about a great man who battles this bout of depression. Let me begin by talking about the misinformation. See, I know that even talking about depression in the church makes some people uncomfortable. Because uh, we know that a lot of what people call depression in the world isn't necessarily so. Let me put it to you this way. If you're doing bad, you should feel bad. And a lot of reason why people are depressed is because they're disobedience, and disobedience brings depression. If your soul is healthy, when you do something wrong, you should be miserable. And in the Bible, being miserable isn't necessarily a bad thing if your misery brings you to Christ. Blessed are they that mourn, Jesus said. Happy are the sad. If your sadness causes you to come to grips with your sin. I remember years ago reading in a leadership magazine an interesting story about a woman who was committing adultery. She was a Christian woman. She was involved in adultery, and this woman was suffering depression. And she went to a, a Christian counselor to get help, and they were not able to help her. And so they referred her to a Christian pastor. And when he listened to her story, his first question to her is, what did you do about your sin? She was shocked. Because up to this point, they were trying to treat the depression without confronting the reason she was depressed, and that is she was in sin. If you're not right, you should feel bad. And if you're not right and you don't feel bad, uh, I feel bad for you. And so we understand our terms tonight. And we're not talking about the world this evening. I'm not here to give you a little Reader's Digest message uh, about depression. Uh, the reason why so many people are on antidepressant pills uh, is because they want to take pills that turn off that part of their brand that makes them feel bad about how they're living their life. So let's get beyond that tonight. I don't believe that medicating is the answer. The problem in our society today is that you go in for a toothache, they want to give you anti-anxiety medication. They want to throw these pills at you. you. Say, Pastor, is there ever a time where someone may need a pill? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not against that. I think when certain situations, people need pills the way other people need casts when they break their legs. We're living in an age now where people feel bad and never process why they're feeling bad. They never think these through and say, okay, what is the reason for this? They just simply take a pill to disconnect that part of their brain that's sending a signal that there's something wrong. Three truths about depression from this passage of Scripture. Number one, good men can become depressed. Elijah's a good man. Elijah wants God's will, but this is not happening at this point. He becomes disappointed. Uh, he becomes bitterly disappointed. And so I know that we think, well, being depressed is a sign of weakness, and if you're spiritual, you wouldn't uh, go through something. Well, I'm sorry. Elijah would qualify as a pretty spiritual man and someone that had spiritual power. But uh, he became bitterly disappointed in life. And it is quite possible to invest yourself emotionally and mentally and intellectually in your work. Uh, and when things don't happen, uh, because you've invested so much, you can be vexed. What about Moses? 
went through something similar. Numbers 11, verse 15, Noses prays, do me if he's praying, and he says to God, do me a favor and kill me. I've seen enough. I've had enough. Let me out of here. Message translation. What about David? David said, my heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearlessness or fearfulness and trembling are come upon me. Horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Pretty strong language. As David says, I'm vexed. I'm vexed. I just want to get away. 2 Corinthians 1.8, the Apostle Paul. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. So here, Moses, David, Paul, Elijah... I think it's fair to say that good men can go through stuff like this. That people can get to this point of sadness and vexation can begin to dominate them and dominate their thoughts. Listen to the words of this man. You get directions to Starbucks if you get this right. I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode I shall not. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better. Guess who said that? I'm waiting. Abraham Lincoln. Starbucks is just right down, turn left on 151. That was Abraham Lincoln in 1841. Vexed. Not only vexed, he's very articulate when he's vexed. Good men can become depressed. Good people can go through this, and we need to understand that. Number two, do not let what is out of your control depress you. Because isn't that what's happening in our story? If you were to read the previous chapter, Elisha has uh, stood uh, and he has confronted the prophets of Baal. Um, he has uh, set up the altars and said, whoever's God answers by fire, let him be God. And sure enough, he calls down fire from heaven. Uh, he orders the priests of Baal to be killed. He gets on his knees and he prays down rain after years of no rain, uh, and as the rain begins to pour, he girds up his loins, uh, and he runs 20 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel and outruns the chariot of King Ahab. That's pretty fast. I mean, this is an amazing, it's almost superhuman. The, the, the dominion and the blessing, uh, and he believed that the nation had turned the last words he heard coming off the mountain was the people chanting, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, executing righteous judgment, only to discover that for all of that happened on that mountaintop, there was no lasting change. The next thing you know, Queen Jezebel 
rather than backing off, uh, becomes even more strident uh, and more aggressive. She has no rear uh, 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 gear, uh, uh, reverse gear in her personality. Uh, be careful of people and women who have no uh, reverse gear in their personality. And the Bible says she presses in, um, and as she presses in, uh, and he surveys the land, uh, he probably thought there would be a popular uprising, that they would go to the palace, uh, and they would uh, judge her, and on and on, and that doesn't happen. And as he's looking uh, at this lack of response, uh, he gets bummed out for other people's choices. I want to tell you that uh, one of the lessons that we learn is that I have to be careful that I don't so attach my emotions to your choices that you can vex me and bum me out. That I have to be able to go to sleep at night, not toss and turn because my son or daughter or my husband or wife or the, this person I'm following up on is making bad decisions. That I cannot empower people over me by you deciding what kind of spirit I'm going to be of. He's all bummed out. Because they choose not to serve God. He has allowed them to determine his level of joy. You cannot empower people to do this. Now, what are the common feelings that people have during a season of depression is helplessness. I want to tell you something tonight. You cannot control people nor should you even try to control people. You will feel very helpless if you want people to act a certain way and they don't act the way you want. You will feel depressed. Christmas season, by the way, is very common because you get your hopes up. You're going to have your family to get together, and uh, this time it's going to be unlike the last 30 times. And uh, everybody's going to get along, uh, and we're going to have this nice meal. And so we're going to make uh, tamales, hallelujah, red chili tamales. Uh, and, uh, and we're getting this all together, uh, and we're excited, and the familia is going to come. Um, and we decorate, uh, and you have those people, those, uh, you know, uh, codependent personalities, and they're running around trying to make everybody happy. And then you get it, and the same old ancient conflicts manifest. Same old under the surface, strife and discord, and on and on and on. And we're depressed because they're not happy. Do not let what is out of your control depress you. You have to be able to say to somebody, I love you, I'm praying for you. you know, a lot of worry can be taken out of our lives if we pray. And then say, you know what, I have left this with God, I'm going to bed. Well, I'm not happy. You're not happy. I'm sleepy. We sound like the seven dwarfs. I'm going to bed. I learned there was a time in my ministry many years ago when I did the all-nighters with people and the all-night marriage counseling and on and on and on. And it finally dawned on me one day, these are adults. I got to treat them like adults. You folks, you're going to stay up on Go ahead. I'm going to bed. Very often, depression is because you want them to change. Please change. Won't you please change? Look, you're making me miserable. Look at these wrinkles. Uh, and on and on. And, and, and listen, go to bed. 
There's another lesson here about depression here, and that is, has to do with the eyes of faith. This uh, scripture really hit me the other day. You know, one of the reasons we challenge, I believe, and wrestle with depression, church, is that we wrestle with a limited understanding. Just think about this. Two scriptures I want you to consider tonight. Isaiah 54, 12. Isaiah 54 is one of the most hopeful chapters in all the Bible. It's the gospel to the underdog. More are the children of the desolate than the married wife. And it's, it's about God making the unfruitful fruitful, about the people who are forgotten, people that have been left for dead. God knows them, and he takes them, and he blesses them for his glory. And that ought to encourage us, amen, because how many know we are the, those that have been kicked to the curb in life? But God loves us. And he begins to describe this restoration. And in this restoration, he says these words. He says, and I will make your windows of agates and thy gates of carbuncles and all thy borders of pleasant stones. Now, agate, I might be saying that wrong, is a translucent gem. It's interesting because when he describes this house, which is a picture of the church and of the people of God, he says, your windows are going to be made of this. And the, the imagery there is not just that it was valuable, it was a precious gem, but when you look through it, it's not clear. It's, it's not like you're looking through something that, that is a, it's crystal clear. You can see through it, but there, it's shadowed. There are images. Things are kind of a, a unclear and uncertain. And he says, that's going to be your windows. And I was thinking about this passage of Scripture. I was inspired by reading something from uh, Charles Spurgeon. That, he, that, that our faith, beloved, is not crystal clear. If you've got it all figured out, I'm happy for you, but I don't. There are lots of things in the Christian life that are unsure. I believe that it is this scripture that inspired the words of the Apostle Paul that he says, we now see in a mirror dimly. I like the way the King James says, we now see through a glass darkly. He's describing, here's Paul, the man of revelation, the man, uh, an angel from the third heaven came down and talked to, uh, this man had incredible insight, and Paul says, you know, in the Christian life, we are looking through a dark glass, that as we serve God, there are things that we don't clearly see. We're in the midst of situations and circumstances, uh, and we're trying to make heads and tails of it all. We're trying to understand why this and how come that and what could God be doing and how come things are working out. And if you're not careful, you can get depressed. God, where are you? How come you're not moving? How come you're not working? Uh, How come I can't see clearly? Consider our prophet tonight. He's so bummed out because he feels like a failure. He feels like after everything I've done, I am playing my best card. Nothing's changed. I have preached my best sermon. Nothing's changed. Everybody came to the altar, but nobody repented. And because of this, he cannot see clearly. You would never guess that in one generation from that point, Baal would be removed from the land of Israel. He would have not known that. From his vantage point, looking through the agate, looking through the dark glass, it's like how come life has to be the way it is? Years ago, many years ago, I preached a sermon around Christmas on depression. 
And I built it around the story of an African missionary named David Flood who went, tried to reach a, an African tribe and appeared to be a complete failure. He reached one African boy, the tribe, they rejected him. And worse than that, his wife had a baby girl there in Africa, and through the complications of that birth, his wife died there in Africa. He's a broken man. He gets mad at God. He gets bitter. He's so desperate and so broken, he feels like, I can't, I'm so messed up, I can't even raise this baby girl. And so there were some other European missionaries there. He gave his daughter to these European missionaries, came back to Europe, backslid, backslid. He ended up remarrying, having another family, and just going on with his life. Angry man. Many years later, that little baby girl, raised by these Christian missionaries, returned to Europe. She ended up marrying a Christian man, becoming a pastor's wife. One day, she is uh, at some sort of a conference where she makes contact with a young man that's from the village that she was told that she was born in in Africa, and this man attends the conference, so she approaches him, begins to tell her story. I was the daughter of a missionary. My mother died. I was left with the family. I'm from here. This young boy, man is shocked. He begins to cry and says, I was a child when your father and mother won me to Christ. I remember when you were born. And begins to tell the story to her. And they begin to cry, and they begin to ask about her father. Where is he? Story, the true story is they actually went and found David Flood. He's an alcoholic. He's close to death. Broken, bitter man. He's mad at God. He's mad because his wife died. He's mad because his mission failed. And he's mad because he left a beautiful little baby girl in Africa. As he lay there near death, here comes this baby girl and this African boy that's now a powerful man of God. And they begin to tell him, hey, wasn't in vain. See, because in life, you can, you can look at things through this glass, and it's like, God, how come? And if you're not careful, it can, it can bum you out. Some of you tonight, you're, in a, you're trapped in a situation and, uh, and you're like, I, I, what am I going to do? And everywhere you look, it's not clear. It's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not sure. Paul says, you know, sometimes we're looking through a dark glass. Let me close and talk about God and depression and we'll finish. How does God help us? when we're in this situation. Okay, Pastor Ruby, I, I'm a man of God, I'm a woman of God, but I'm bummed out right now. I don't like my life. Perhaps other people's choices have bummed you out. Maybe tonight you're struggling with looking through the dark glass and you don't see how it's going to work. Well, I want to leave you with three thoughts here very quickly. Number one, when you're going through depression, keep eating. Come on, somebody say amen right there. All right, Pastor Ruby, all right, I agree. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to answer the altar call tonight. Keep eating. Because the Bible says that uh, when Elijah went into that cave, bummed out that the angel of the Lord came 
and began to prepare a meal for him. The Bible says, so he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he laid down again. Keep eating. Keep coming to church. Keep feeding your spirit. Keep building your life. Don't get so depressed that you don't come into God's house. You're not allowing ministry to flow into your life. You've got to keep eating. They say one of the challenges of aging is that a lot of times you lose your appetite. Your body still needs the food, but you're just not hungry. And, you, and to, to, to uh, live healthy as you get older is to say, I need to eat. Even if I'm not necessarily feeling like eating, I need to eat. I need nourishment. If you're going through depression, don't disappear on us. Don't hide out somewhere. You know what? I may be going through this, but I can still get in my car and come into God's house and feed my soul. Number two. Get some friends. Get some friends during this period of time. You know, remember Elijah's words, I alone am left. I'm all by myself. Because that's how you feel when you're depressed. You feel alone. You're isolated. You can't see anybody. God's answer to Elijah is, Elijah, there are 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee nor kissed Baal. And then he says, I want you to go, and I want you to go, and I want you to find Elisha, and I want you to anoint him to become your disciple or take your place when, when you leave. I want you to go anoint Jehu. I want you to go anoint Hazael. And he begins to direct him and begin to find some people, and I want you to begin to link your life with some other people. Because it's so easy to just withdraw from relationships. To isolate uh, and say, well, maybe because you're embarrassed. Uh, maybe it's because uh, uh, you don't think people understand, on and on and on. But the truth is, God's counsel to this man who is profoundly vexed, reach out to people. Thirdly, realize that what you're going through is temporarily, temporary. You don't have to die under a broom tree. Chariot fire can come and pick you up and you can leave in a blaze of glory. Your life doesn't have to be defined by what you're going through right now. So often this is what people wrestle with. I think this is it for me. This is all that, that it is. This is how it's going to end. And all my glory days are in the past. But when we read about Elijah at this moment, he thinks this is it. This is how it's going to end. But it doesn't end. The Bible says it ends when a chariot of fire comes down and picks it up, picks him up. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. I don't have to, it doesn't have to end this way. I may have been through this, but it doesn't have to end this way. Worship tonight. God's word to the depressed soul is Isaiah 61, verse 3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You know, it's amazing to me that they'll tell the depressed soul, St. John's wart, 
I always wish they'd come up with a better name than St. John's Wart. That's like Cousin John's Pimple. You know, I just said, is, is there a, is there a, a is, you know, couldn't they come up with a better name? One more thing to be bummed out of. You know, people will drive across the city to buy some pills. Here the scripture says you can walk into this house wearing a heavy spirit. And as you come into this house, you can say, you know what I choose to do? I choose to remove the spirit of heaviness. I choose to put on the garment of praise. That is not in the realm of motions or feelings. That is in the realm of decision. But I'm going to come and I'm going to worship. I'm going to put on the garment of praise. I'm going to decide that, you know what, if I worship God, if I enter in, if I make myself praise, that somehow I am confronting and combating those spirits of heaviness that want to weigh my soul down. And I can have a joy that confronts the desire to mourn. I'm making a decision. And I'm going to give God praise. The truth is, folks, people come in and lift their hands and worship, not because they all had a great day. Sometimes, just like Paul in a prison cell in the middle of the night, after having been beaten and tortured, you just make up your mind. I'm taking this old rag off, and I'm putting on the garment of praise. The best thing I can do to confront and combat these feelings it's just a decision to lift my hands and worship God. Bow our heads. I believe we are living in an age where so many people are ruled by depression. Let me say it again tonight. One of the reasons why people feel bad is because they are bad. I am not saying that. Um, in a way to be insensitive tonight, but sin makes us feel bad. It's supposed to. When our conscience is not right, we're troubled in our spirit. It will create a tremendous amount of anxiety and uncertainty inside of us. Jesus said it's in times like this when men are to come to him to seek him to resolve those issues in their life. The gospel offers forgiveness. The gospel says it can purge a, a violated conscience. That repentance can resolve feelings of guilt and shame inside of us. We come and we say, well, God, I confess my sin. I'm sorry. And by faith, I believe Jesus Christ, God's son, died rose from the dead that my sins could be forgiven and they can be healed. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was a teenager at the time. I want to tell you, I walked into a Christian church. I felt terrible. What that preacher preached, the very atmosphere of that church made me feel horrible. But you know what? In my horror, I came down before God and I said, God, forgive me. And I went from sorrow to joy 
in a moment of time. I felt like all the shame and guilt rolled off of me. I found Jesus. I'm so glad someone didn't stick a pill in my hand to take so that I wouldn't feel bad. Rather, somebody took my hand and prayed with me. and I found forgiveness. Tonight, that's the hope of the gospel. He loves you tonight. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. He loves you tonight. And he would forgive your sin. He could change your life. I wonder if there's anybody here that would say, Pastor Ruby, I need that today. You don't just need religion and going to church. Lots of folks do that. I'm talking about coming to God as a sinner and saying, I need forgiveness. Would you pray for me? I need to be right with God. I need my conscience cleansed. Tonight, Jesus can do that. If that's you, I'd like you just to raise your hand. By you raising your hand, you're saying, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to come to Christ tonight. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be right with God. I need God to help me. I need forgiveness. God bless you. Thank you. Who else? With an uplifted hand. I'm not right with God. I need Jesus. God bless you. Who else? Anybody else? Before I move on, if you're backslidden tonight and God's dealing with you this evening, would you respond? Would you respond? All around this building. God bless you, brother. Who else tonight? Thank God for these honest hearts. Who else? I'm not right with God, Pastor. Would you pray for me? God's dealing with you this evening. Would you respond? All around this building. Thank God. Respond. I want these that lifted your hand just to lift your hand and look at me just for a minute. Come on, brother. God's dealing with you. My brother, right here, you lifted your hand. Come on. Step out where you are. Come on. God's dealing with you. Thank God for these precious souls. Anybody else? Pastor, uh, pray for me. I'm not right with God. Step out where you are. Let God help you tonight. Amen. God bless you, sir. I ask you to kneel right here at this altar. A counselor will be here. These are coming. Anybody else? God will help you tonight. Anybody else? You know, church, this evening, first of all, there are people here tonight. You're not, you're going through it. Perhaps the reason why, you got to stop and say, okay, is this, I, do I feel bad because I've done bad? The way to resolve that is not to keep it under, hide it say, oh God, you forgive, cleanse me. I'm telling you, confession is good for the soul tonight, church. It is good for the soul. You know, tonight, maybe it's just, you know what, Pastor Ruby, I just feel like this has hit me, I'm saved, I love God, and I'm battling these things. Take back your life tonight. Say, you know, I'm not going to live or or die based on other people's choice. I can't give my kids or my friends or my spouse that kind of power. I've got to have my relationship with God, and then I've got to learn to say, you know what? The people make their own choices in life. And if I live or die by their choices, then I will probably die. There are people here tonight. You're in a situation, and it seems like you don't got clear focus looking through a dark glass right now. You're trying to figure it out. Maybe for a time, it's not going to be figured out. But I'm telling you, God knows what he's doing. Friend, his plan is so much bigger than our present situation. All things work together for good to them that love God. And sometimes it means coming to church and saying, I'm going to take off this heavy spirit. I'm going to simply put on the garment of praise and I'm going to stand with hands lifted, eyes closed, and I'm going to sing with my heart. You say, God, I don't figure it out. I don't understand it all. But I do understand this. You are Lord over all. I'm going to worship you. 
Let's stand together. These altars are open this evening. We're going to worship God. Let's lay hold of God tonight. Let's worship him. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank How lovely are the mountains of the feet of him that